Well, kia ora everybody. Last night I nearly rang the organisers and told them I had COVID so that they would cancel my talk. I was starting to feel quite overwhelmed and anxious because as you can see from the turnout, it's quite an important topic and a topic that everybody is interested in. So I felt the weight of that last night and um, yeah, I'm here. Um, ko Hikurangi te maunga. Uh, Hikurangi is the mountain that cloaks me. Ko Waiapu te awa. The Waiapu are the waters that nourish me. Uh, ko Ngāti te iwi. My tribe are the descendants of Porairangi. Ko Te Aitanga Mate, Te Awera, me Te Awe Māpara, Ngā Hapu. These are the communities that contain me. Ko Kiri Mamai Te Kiri is my name. Uh, before I get into it, I just want to acknowledge all the te reo warriors that have come before me, the te reo activists, the te reo language revitalizers, promoters, all of it. The reason I'm standing here at this point in time is for all the mahi that they done before, all the fighting, all the hard work. So I want to acknowledge them. The second acknowledgement I want to give is, um, I think it was yesterday marked 35 years of Te Reo Māori as an official language of this country. So, yeah, a paki for that. And also before I get into it, I want to make a disclaimer. Um, I am not a Te Reo expert. I don't have high-level capability of articulating in te reo. Um, I'm, I'm okay, I can get by in most situations, but I'm not a te reo expert and I'm not a te reo teacher. I'm also not a te reo revitalisation expert. I don't study those theories, I don't sit in that space every day, so I'm not that either. And third, I am not a linguistic scholar. I don't study languages. I don't study how their form or their function. So I am not an expert in languages or te reo, but I am a receiver and a recipient of te reo strategies that are designed for this country. And I have been active in this space, in my space, of claiming and wanting te reo for me and my whanau. So I come here from quite a personal space and place. I have done the mahi. I, the first, the, so there's two sides of how I've activated it in my life. One is kind of more of an informal side where I've been exposed to it through kapahaka, my mother, my family, being on the marae. And the other side is the more formal institutional side, having accessed universities or schools or night classes. So I've had these two dimensions or experiences of being with the real. You don't know how hard it is to talk up here without um, our academic slides and PowerPoint. It's really, really hard. 
I use those all the time for my prompting. So I'm a little bit cheated. I've got notes. Um, and also, I've just spent three days teaching, so I only started kind of preparing myself this afternoon. <laughs> that is the life of an academic. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to point out. The title of the speech, it took such a long time to determine the title of the speech. The framing of this conversation is really, really important. And so Raising the Bar offered a few titles. One, the first one was Cultural Cringe or Cause for Celebration, the many and varied complex Māori reactions to Pākehā speaking te reo. But okay, that's, that's a bit, um, I was a bit uncomfortable with that one. It felt a bit attacky. So we had another go of it. Um, when Pākehā speak te reo, why it's not always a kapai. <laughs> and I really liked that one, but I still felt it was centering Pākehā at the conversation. So um, then we had Let's Kōrero about te reo. Has the revitalization of the language left Māori out? And then, yeah, I wasn't comfortable with that. And the last one was a Māori view on the uptake of te reo by Pākehā. In the end, I, I tried to choose a title that represented our journey together, our journey of doing this together, becoming a te reo nation uh, together. So... Why is te reo revitalization hard? And I want to um, refer to the work of a um, linguistic scholar. His name is Sali Koko Mufwene, and I like saying his name, Sali Koko Mufwene. And he's, um, he's from Africa, Congo, but he's based at the University of Chicago. And he says that... Languages don't die because we don't love them, because we do love te reo. We all love te reo. The reason why they die is because we don't use them. And I know that sounds really simple, but when you really dig deep into why do we not use languages, you find some very major structural infrastructure issues that resist, that help to resist people from using te reo Māori. His particular work is more focused on how economic systems impact the, the use of language. And the dominant economic system will typically be the language that is spoken in a country. Now that's a major, major hurdle for us, for New Zealand, for Māori, to overcome the dominant economic system because it's a global system. We, we're not getting away from that system anytime soon. It, so it is, it is one of the reasons why te reo is, can be quite difficult to disperse through our country. And he says, populations that have a dependence and vulnerability to the dominant economic systems struggle with language revitalization. So that was quite an overwhelming thought for me when I read his work. Um, I thought, how are we ever going to have our language embedded 
within the economics of this country. He also says language is essentially tied to how people access their basic needs such as income, kai and housing. The culture that provides the fundamental aspects of survival is the language that dominates and easily self-perpetuates. So Māori economic power is important as part of this journey. So that is one of the major reasons why te reo revitalisation is challenging. Currently we have two major kind of overarching real revitalisation strategies in New Zealand. One is a kind of a buy Māori for Māori approach. Um, it's a policy delivered by Te Mātāwai that encourages intergenerational use of te reo, especially within the home. The other revitalisation strategy is the normalising or the mainstreaming of te reo. And that is, behind that idea is that te reo should be made accessible to all of New Zealand. And I am an advocate of that strategy, but there are things that we need to be mindful of with regards to that strategy. Um, so one of the things I'll just touch on is this idea of language trauma. Now, the removal of te reo, this won't be new to you, but I'll just go over some of the basics. The removal of te reo Māori from Māori communities was a strategy to undermine our ability to be self-determining, sovereign and have economic power. There were many strategies that the colonists uh, used to do that, but the removal of te reo was one of them. And they used quite traumatic means by which to do that, which now creates, a, with some of our people, with me included, a shame, a sense of shame when you don't have full control over the language that identifies you. It's a painful, it's a painful feeling. And so when we have te reo re revitalisation strategies that uh, now we see many Pākehā coming through um, with really good te reo, they don't have the same baggage of learning that Māori do. And it's really important to be mindful of that. So tra language trauma is an issue. And the feeling of shame. Shame is a, it's the most horrid feeling. It makes you want to hide and curl up and just not, just not be seen or heard or anything. Shame is one of the hardest emotions to feel, to consciously feel. As soon as shame tries to arise in you, you will find all these avoidant ways to not feel it. Guilt is where you, have, you feel like you've done something wrong. Shame is you are wrong. 
and to feel like you're wrong, like you're actually wrong, it's just, it's a really horrid feeling. And a lot of Māori do experience that shame. So that's language trauma. I've kind of like ripped off um, this lady on Twitter. She's got um, some tweets on what Pākehā should know uh, when learning te reo. And I couldn't um, summarise it any more better, so I've just ripped it off from her, t- her Twitter page. Um, one, Pākehā are manuhiri in a te reo class. So you, you're a visitor. You're a visitor in that space and exceptionally lucky to be there. Two, be mindful of the physical space you take up. Leave space for others to answer questions. So not taking up all of the teacher's time. Three, Pākehā presence can be really hard on others. Know Pākehā history. Know that there are others in the class who should have te reo Māori as a language from birth who have missed out due to colonisation. Be mindful of this. Four, Pākehā experience of education is different. The education system is designed for Pākehā. So your ways of learning are... um, they're aligned with those methods or forms of classroom. Five, if learning a pepeha, remember your own papa. Pepeha are for those connecting with their papa. Pepeha is for Māori, not Pākehā. So pepeha is when Māori identify with their environmental landmarks, like I did to start my kōrero. Those are whakapapa landmarks. They tell people that I have a genealogy associated to those landmarks. As you move through and learn more, there are ways to communicate with who you are claiming a connection to. Six, Pākehā are highly praised for any effort at te reo Māori. And Māori are just expected to know. We see lots of Pākehās getting accolades in the media for learning te reo, and that's kapai, but Māori don't get those accolades. We don't get accolades for learning our own language. It's really, really incongruent and off. So that one, that one annoys me. Um, Yeah, Māori in class often feel hurt and shame. Seven. Try not to bring it back to yourself as a Pākehā in the class. It isn't really helpful. So, um, yeah, there's some things that we need to be mindful of um, when we're on this journey to become a te speaking nation. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of understanding of each other. But we're going to get there, guys. We're going to get there. I've been asking a couple of questions on Facebook and so I thought I might share, share some of the responses. I said, I'm curious to know, at what age did you realise you were Māori? And typically, most people realise this at around the age of five, six, seven, eight. Ma- that's where Māori tended to become aware that there was another community. And some of those experiences were positive and some of them were not Yes, yeah, so I was um, curious 
Uh, just curious about that fact. And um, there was very interesting uh, posts regarding that. But I thought I might um, I'll share a couple of them with you. This one. Nan told me I was Māori, not Pākehā. And I cried. <laughs> and that was my daughter. She cried when she found out she was a Māori. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember it too. We all laughed at her. Um, and then my friend, um, he, Nari Johnson, he said... I was seven when I found out Michael Jackson wasn't a Māori. <laughs> and then he said, I had a big argument with my older brother because I was adamant he was Māori. My brother was like, no, he's black. I was like, look, I was like, no, he's brown, like me. A few years later, he ended up white. <laughs> and then someone else said, how old were you when you found out Bob Marley wasn't your uncle? <laughs> Maldives will get that joke. <laughs> All right, and so another thing I thought I might share just before we go to Q&A is I asked people to um, reflect on some funny stories about learning te reo Māori. And there was some there was some really funny ones. Most of it's kind of lost in translation type stuff. Um, Maori people reading Pākehā words as if they were Maori, thinking they were Maori. One of them was um, they saw a sign take note and they thought it said Take Note. <laughs> they had to ask what what is Take Note? Okay, that's me. We're going to Q and A? Yeah. It's a very difficult thing when you're as nervous as I know you were to come up here and still be able to make us all laugh. So I want to thank you for that. You did a marvellous job. And I guess, you know, for myself, one of the things as a Pākehā older woman that I take away from that is the privilege to actually be living in this age where I can learn more than uh, I might have been able to do at my children's age and that my children will get the benefit of being part of a partnership that we haven't seen for decades. And so I feel that's a real privilege. And thank you for opening the conversation. Thank you very much. So I think we have a kind of different Q&A today, don't we? So I'll give you back the microphone. Okay. So my anxiety was getting high last night thinking about all the questions I was going to be asked. So I decided to be a control freak and flip the Q&A. So I'm going to ask you guys questions and I'm hoping the audience of experts can answer. Okay. And this is all for, to help us understand our journey together um, towards the Te speaking nation. What burning insight can you share with us from the audience regarding Aotearoa becoming a Te speaking nation? Who's got some tips? Who's got some insights, some ideas? Hello, uh, my name is Sam, uh, I'm French and uh, uh, resident, my wife is a Kiwi, and uh, I come from uh, uh, Belgium, uh, cl close to Belgium, where 
there's five million people and uh, they speak three languages, you know. And um, uh, I really believe that uh, to be able to achieve uh, this uh, uh, nation where everyone can speak the same languages, you know, is to have a, a free education. And I think every Maori living through this culture deserve free education to the to fulfill their potential, you know, and being able to match what is demanded to live in New Zealand today. I was um, thinking a little bit about what you were saying about, um, you know, at what age did people know that they were Māori? And I can remember when I was 15, I was sent to represent my high school at a national event, which was run by Sir Peter Sharples at the time and coming away from it thinking I have no culture I don't deserve to be here and for me that was the first time I ever even thought about there being a difference and that's terrible that it took till the age of 15 so I you know I think we are in a real um, changing time which is very very exciting how can Pākehā support Māori to be Māori i.e. to continue to help Māori to be themselves, find themselves as Māori. I know this is a really hard one for people to understand, but as Māori, we need space created for us to undo a lot of the damage that colonisation has caused on our communities. We're constantly being demanded in the mainstream sector and our institutions, our time, our resources are all being demanded on by non-Māori, which is fine, but how can Hākia support Māori? One key thing that I think we need to do is uh, focus on land back to have that kind of space. Um, I think there's way too much uh, private uh, Pākehā and foreign ownership of Aotearoa. Um, and I also think that the land that is owned by the government, um, for example, Putiki Bay, uh, the protests that have been happening there um, about the korora uh, and the marina that is being built over on Waiheke, um, Issues like that, where it's Māori relationships with um, the taonga of Aotearoa and the role as kaitiaki of the Svenua and Moana, Pākehā can support those kind of kaupapa um, and advocate for land back um, and mana whenua over that land. Tēnā koutou katoa, Waikato te iwi, Waikato te awa, Waikato taniparau, ko tui kaumoana tōku ingoa, no Waikato me Ngāti Maniopoto oku iwi. Uh, I'm the kaiārahi at Uni Services. And I've got, I've got, you know, I really love the land back and free education thing, but I've got a practical, very easy one, which um, Professor Justin Sullivan already practices, which is something I've never experienced before. And um, on the Liggins board, Māori advisory board that we're on, they have, I think it's like 15 minutes or half an hour, Māori only time for our board. And um, what's cool about that is it gives us an opportunity to authentically practice our values. 
like whakawhanaungatanga uh, and, you know, speaking out ill freely and, you know, manaki each other, which um, is a phenomenal experience. And I've never had that on any other board that I sit on. So I just want to take this opportunity. Thank you, um, Professor Justin Sullivan for Liggins Institute and our Māori Advisory Board. Um, one of the, the big things I think that um, Pākehā can do to help Māori in their, in their journey is, is really start working from... Um, I guess, no, uh, recognising the privilege that, that they have. Um, what I find tends to happen is that people might enrol in a 101 real course thinking that they're supporting Māori, which is still great, you know, we're not saying, we're not knocking any of these things, but without actually going into, you know, the systems, the hidden structures, the colonisation, the trauma that's happening. And we find that a lot of um, organisations will offer the um, introductory real classes to anyone in the organisation who might want to learn, which is which is awesome, really awesome initiative. But what you find is a lot of them are filled up by the Pākehā to learn that deal, and then you've got Māori in there who are maybe intermediate or needing something more, and classes aren't offered for us. We have to take them outside. We have to fight to go to the wānanga um, and all of that outside of work hours to be able to learn our language that's offered very easily to um, to anyone else who who might um, want to be so um, yeah so that's that's where I see things is that just seeing what privilege actually already exists and actually you know asking Māori what is it that you guys need you know if, if we're talking the deal what do you need on your deal journey and what can we provide for you as opposed to opening up a class that doesn't provide for many Māori um, in many cases that I know. Yeah, so um, I'll just acknowledge a couple of things that have been said. I teach Māori land issues, so you're singing my song there. Um, and Māori need a more boutique-type strategies for te reo, um, because um, there's these mainstreaming te reo strategies occurring across um, our big institutions, but... Nobody has ever asked me, what do you need for your te reo? No one's ever asked me. Um, and that goes to Amber's point here. It's becoming easier for Pākehā to access the reo than it is for Māori. And it, it is a bit concerning. Well, it is concerning. Um, okay, well, one more question? One more, Okay. Oh, what do you think about all Māori working in public institutions given six months as part of their jobs to do te reo immersion? <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. And why I, I like that one is because when you think about the resource and the energy colonisation put in to remove te reo from us, that same amount of energy and resource needs to be put back in to make te reo accessible for Māori. So that's more of a statement than a question. Um, so I think we're probably at time, but bef before we finish, I've got, I'm going to suggest we finish with a song. Yeah. And it's um, one of my favourite songs. And if you know it, I encourage you to sing it with me.
Ahaka mana para tawa nga ahikeme ahikeme ne pere te wenge fe ahikimi ahikimi ni pere te wenge fe ahokomo ahokomo no poro tawa ngofo a e i o u ahukumene pere te wenge fe kia ora.